Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of Knenitsa, The Well, a podcast series about interesting and noteworthy Ukrainians from around the world. Today is Friday, April 15th, 2022. And this episode is produced for the Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper that has focused on the global Ukrainian community since 1933. Our guest today is Andrew Mack, who is a partner at the law firm Astors in Washington, D.C., and also a non-staff advisor to the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. Welcome, Andrew. How are you? Good. You? Good. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on the podcast today. My pleasure to be here. So to begin, I would like to get some background about your education your professional career, and also your Ukrainian roots. Sure. Well, I was born not too far from where you're sitting on Long Island. And the first 10 years of my life was Lindbrook. When I was 10, my father moved us out to Pennsylvania. And we were Ukrainian. Well, both of my parents were from Ukraine originally. We spoke Ukrainian at home in the New York area. I went to St. George's on the weekends and I did the PLOST afterwards. Uh, when we moved to Pennsylvania, uh, I relocated, I guess, my parents, my parents relocated me to the Philadelphia Ukrainian school and I picked up PLOST there. So I grew up in what you would consider to be a fairly typical Ukrainian American household. And could you tell me something about your law firm, Astor's? I understand it is an international law firm. Yeah, so uh, Astor's is a Ukrainian-based international law firm. We have four offices around the world, the key of being uh, the mothership, and we're located also in Brussels, London, and I had the D.C. office We're traditionally been focused not only on Ukraine, but the entire former Soviet Union. Uh, We used to do work in every former Soviet Republic. Obviously, since the events of 2014, that is no longer a possible model. And we've been primarily focused on Ukraine. And I understand that uh, you spent quite a few years in Ukraine working on business, correct? Correct. I uh, relocated to Ukraine in 2002, and I stayed until 2011. I worked initially with Price Waterhouse, uh, and two years after that, I joined a young firm called Magisters, which quickly became the largest law firm, uh, not only in Ukraine but the entire region. Um, it's actually the it's I was Astros is actually uh, had merged with um, with Magisters uh, in 2018. And I you know, had seen Ukraine from all its sides, both positive and not so positive. And I got to know the country quite well. Even when I relocated back to Washington in 2011, I maintained a regular contact with Kiev. I you know, flew to Kiev on a regular basis, literally going you know twice every quarter uh, up until the war started. And so how did you become an advisor to President Zelensky on a non-staff, non-paid basis? Right. Well, the non-staff is in Ukrainian, it's a very common position. It's for, it's for those who want to be formally advising the government, the president. 
but do not want to become civil servants and do it full time. Uh, there's quite a few of these pozostatni uh, advisors, which translates into English as non-staff. I think the uniqueness of me was that I was here in the U.S. and I am not a Ukrainian citizen. And I do believe I'm probably the only American citizen to ever have that title. Uh, I think there were others from Europe, from Canada, but I think I'm the only one from the States to have that. I never really wanted to be involved in Ukrainian politics. I didn't think it was particularly uh, my cup of tea. And uh, this was only because friends who were of mine for many years who were close to the president had asked me to join and help. And these are people who I built long-term relations with. And I decided that it was something that I should do to try to help this new young president as much as possible. So here we are today, uh, April 15th. It's the 51st day of the war with Russia. And I've been following the media campaign of President Zelensky. And yes. I'm wondering how much you have actually influenced that, uh, not only within Ukraine and Europe, but here in the U.S.? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I have been advising the president and his office on various media strategies. I prefer to keep the nature of that advice confidential, but to the extent that I could be helpful in explaining the Ukrainian position, both here in the U.S. and globally, I have uh, tried to do my best. And so do you think the campaign has been effective? I think the campaign has been very effective. I mean, I think uh, all credit goes to the president himself, not to people like me. The president has been uh, an inspiring figure, not only for Ukraine, but for the entire world. Uh, it's his bravery, his courage that has made this into a positive campaign. And do you think that Ukraine is winning the information war with Russia overall? Because, you know, we have the media campaign and we have the information war. Sure. Uh, I think on both fronts, Ukraine is winning. Um, obviously, I'm biased, but I, I believe that uh, there's very few people outside of Russia, even in Russia, who could coherently defend the Russian position uh, in starting the war. Um, I don't think there is much support for it. Even countries uh, that have traditionally sided with Russia, like Serbia, have been voting against Russia recently in the UN. Um, so I think definitely the information war and media war is being won. Also on the media front, uh, the Russians have decided to basically block out all Western media, you know, to my knowledge, at least uh, Facebook and other social media, and uh, have basically made it a crime to report anything that is contradictory to the official position, which means uh, I don't think there's any Western news outlets left in Russia. Um, so uh, obviously uh, the media campaign has, and the media attention has been very focused on Ukraine, and we have so many brave reporters, I think a dozen or so of which who have uh, made the ultimate sacrifice reporting and showing us on a daily basis what Russia is doing. And this is very helpful. And what do you think about some of these campaigns that have been undertaken to try to get information into Russia? For example, I understand uh, that there are some Ukrainians out there uh, pushing information through the channel Telegram. You familiar with Correct. it? Correct. Yes, I'm familiar with Telegram. It's a channel that's commonly used 
both in Ukraine and Russia. Um, I understand it's still available throughout Russia. Um, it may be edited. I don't know. I mean, I have not been involved in any of those efforts, so I can't really provide any intelligent comment on it. I think suffice it to say, Russians who have either left Russia or through some kind of uh, you know technical means get access to uh, Western media, I think they know full well what is going on. So is there anything at this point that you, you think the Zelensky government should do differently to get its message out to the media in the West? No, I mean, I think we should uh, continue, that they should continue to do what they've been doing. Uh, I don't think that they should change course. I think getting uh, the message out to as broad of an audience as possible, both in the U.S. and throughout Europe, is very important, especially now that we're entering into you know, day 51. And unfortunately, it looks like, though, this will continue for some time. Um, so we have to make sure that there's no fatigue in the, the, around the world, that the, everybody is focused on what's going on in Ukraine. And uh, I think we should continue to do what we've been doing. And what about some of the non-Western countries, for example, China, India, Brazil, and the nations in Africa? There's been a noticeable absence of support for Ukraine in these countries. Do you think well, there's anything I, that Zelensky can do to reach out to them? Well, you know, again, uh, far beyond my pay grade to comment on any of these on any of these strategies, but uh, China, I believe, is. Uh, has its own very narrow interests in Ukraine and uh, has interest in Russia. Uh, I think China has uh, obviously uh, somewhat of a hostile relationship with the U.S. and the West. And I don't think there can be much to be done influencing how Beijing sees this war. On the other ones, the other BRIC countries, so Russia, India, Brazil, China, uh, Brazil obviously is a liberal democracy. Brazil is a country which should probably be more supportive of Ukraine. I understand a lot of this is emanating from the personal policies of their their current president. Uh, India, I understand, has a very strong relationship with Russia on the military front that it deems is important for its uh, national security. Um, So I'm not quite sure Uh, whether it's uh, possible to influence how India sees this conflict. Um, I don't think Brazil or India or even China, for that matter, have been supportive of Russia. Based on what I know, I think they've been indifferent or neutral to the conflict. Um, So uh, I doubt that will change much. What do you think of the efforts so far by the U.S. and NATO to support Ukraine? Look, I think my personal opinion, obviously, and this is not coming from the president or anybody in the Ukrainian government, uh, what needs to be done immediately is done eventually. Uh, and I guess that's better, you know, better late than never. I would have loved to see some of the support that Ukraine is getting now vis-a-vis arms uh, and intelligence sharing uh, a few months ago. Uh, the president, I, uh, I recall, was asking for some of the more sophisticated weaponry as early as spring 21, when the Russians first began their large buildup around Ukraine's borders. Uh, I think at that point, the policy in the West was leaning towards a more 
conciliatory approach with Russia, hoping that that would uh, solve any ambitions that uh, Putin may have had. That didn't work, obviously, um, and we are where we are at. Um, but having said that, you know, I think it's also important to give credit where credit's due. I do think the Biden administration, especially in you know since the war in the last few weeks, has been quite uh, responsive and. Uh, really seems to uh, want to help as much as possible in getting the arms and the and the right type of arms. A lot of personal requests that have been made by the president to the American president uh, have been honored. And uh, the uh, dialogue between the White House and Bankova is actually quite good. I, I don't even I can't recall how many times the presidents have spoken since the war started. At least a dozen. Andrew, unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you one last question. Mm -hmm. I was just reading today about this Russian government Twitter campaign, a disinformation campaign regarding what the atrocities that took place in the town of Bucha. How do you think Ukrainians could respond to something like that, or should they be responding to something like that? Well, I mean, look, I think the overwhelming evidence was presented on various media outlets around the world. Uh, we've had confirmation from quote unquote neutral countries. I think the Austrian chancellor uh, had visited Bucha and was very moved by the atrocities that he saw in countries that traditionally would have been very quick to uh, support Russia uh, have taken a hostile approach uh, I'm not familiar with the specific Twitter campaign that you're referring to, but I, I don't think it's going to be that effective. Uh, I mean, just last night, you know, uh, Russia Today, uh, I just watched it for a few minutes and they indicated that this uh, battleship that sunk was sunk on purpose by the Russians. You know, so look, if you believe that, then, you know, there's not much that can be done. Uh, but I, I don't think that any of these campaigns have been effective. Andrew, I want to thank you so much for coming on Krenitsia today. My pleasure. Thank you. I have been speaking with Andrew Mack, a partner at the law firm in Washington, D.C., Astors. And he is also a non-staff advisor to the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. And this episode has been produced for Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper that's been focused on the global Ukrainian community since 1933. I'm Mike Burek, the producer and host of Karenitsia. Until next time, that's all for now.